0: Yeah, jackass!
1: Welcome to the Jackass Critics Podcast, with your hosts, Tom and Matt. Welcome to the Jackass Critics Podcast presented by JackassCritics.com. I'm Tom. And I'm
0: Matthew First of JackassCritics.com as well.
1: Thank you for bringing that in, Matt. I appreciate it. I'll do what I can. Yes, yes, yes. Today we will discuss the Guy Madden film, Brand Upon the Brain. Oh, hold on a second. I didn't say that right. It's Brand Upon the Brain! Nice. the exclamation point. There
0: is a forced exclamation point that will probably make all the grammar lovers go crazy.
1: That's correct. That's correct. And subtitle a remembrance in twelve chapters. Yes, very old. I'd like to remind, yes, and uh I'd like to remind you, as always, you can check us out at jackasscritics.com dot com, where you can read what we have written on over one thousand films, and you can check out some of our previous podcasts. You can do a search for us on Twitter, Jackass Tom, and that's Jackass Matt over there. You can check out our Jackassy updates, and you can now like us on Facebook. Cool,
0: good work, Thomas, our Facebook yeah, master. That's, yeah,
1: it took me a while to figure out such a simple little thing, but... You don't have a 12-year-old niece like I do, which makes, you
0: know, Facebook navigation much easier, so... you got to figure it out yourself, man. That's tough.
1: You got you got that right, Encyclopedia Britannica.
0: <laughs> yes, I
1: love it. There it is. Yeah. There it is.
0: You know, about 20 years from now, nobody's even going to know what an encyclopedia is, because the internet's ruining it all.
1: They can look it up on Wikipedia. And
0: that's true. I'll have to Google it. That joke will not age well, Tom.
1: That joke will not age well. Well, that's fine. Do we think that Brand Upon the Brain is going to age well?
0: Well, I think uh, Mr. Madden intended it to, but I, I have my doubts.
1: Yeah. By the way, I do have a request for you, Matt. Yes, Thomas. We didn't talk about this in the pre-show, but oh. I do have to say. no. It, You're showing people easy. all the
0: sausages made, Tom.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to admit too much, but um, I have to tell you, within the past two years, I've read up on Guy Madden. Okay, yeah. and I have yet to see one of his films until we have seen Brand Upon the Brain. Yes,
0: exclamation point. That's a long period, of ch- a
1: long time of chastity, by the way. Very impressive, two years. Well, it's not too easy to find his films. He's a Canadian filmmaker. He's not a mainstream guy. He's one of these independent guys that you kind of have to seek out, and they do have a couple of his films available in various places, but it's not exactly something you find at the local Googleplex. It is not Jurassic Park 4. So my request to you, Matt, yes, is this. Yes. Within the past two years, I have looked at the name Guy Madden, and I've known that he's from Canada, yeah. and I recognize that that name is very French-looking, <laughs> and within my brain, brand upon the brain, if you will, nice Guy Madden is the way I've had it in, set in my head for the longest time. Yeah. I I knew he was from Winnipeg. I know Winnipeg is not part of French Canada. I know it's part of Manitoba, not part of Quebec. But at the same token, I think about him as Guy Madden. So if at any point during the podcast I say it that way, yeah. slap me on the wrist, bring me down to surface, say Tom, it's Guy Madden. Guy, Mister Guy
0: Madden does not appreciate your Guy Madin.
1: That's correct. Yeah.
0: Okay. I can do that's what I correct. can. I'll I'll be on Guy Madin watch.
1: Good. Yep. Good. Good. I think uh, all the podcast listeners will be very. Uh, very grateful to you for that, and we do want to thank all of our podcast listeners out there. We've had hundreds of downloads already that I think both Matt and I are very happy to see.
0: Very exciting, and and no, in case you're at right, saying to yourself, my mom did not download it a couple hundred times.
1: So. Right, my mom may have, but your mom didn't. <laughs>
0: She's using oh. those Chinese proxies and stuff to try to mask the IP yeah. addresses, but I'm on to you, Mrs.
1: Blaine. That's correct, that's correct. So, Matt? Yes, Thomas? I think it's time for our signature segment, Bullets in the Chamber. Oh,
0: yeah. I love the music of yeah. this, too.
1: Yeah, it's nice, yeah. it's nice to. It, and we'd like to thank LCD sound system for the music on this one. Those crazy kids, those crazy kids. And uh, May first bullet goes out to the movie Thor," which Thor. comes out in theaters. Yeah, you got it. It <laughs> comes out in theaters May 6, which is the weekend we're taping this podcast. And is that a Gee my
0: Den film, Tom?: Oh,
1: It's definitely not. I don't even know who directs it to be yeah. honest with you. All I know is that when I did read comic books, yeah. or as some people would say, graphic novels, <laughs> I was a big Marvel fan, Indeed. and Thor was one of the last comics I would ever want to buy.
0: You'd, you'd really have to be stretching to to do a Thor. I mean, he kind of right. rounds out the Avengers, I guess, a little bit, but Thor by himself.
1: I suppose. So I wanted to ask you. I don't want to single you out and yeah. all of your geekdom or oh. anything like that, but well, there I just did it. <laughs> Where does Thor rank on your list?
0: I mean, pretty low. Uh, the interest in Thor, I guess maybe they're they're playing to the Norse mythology type uh, nerds, and there's probably some overlap. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say there's some overlap between your comic nerd, somebody who really thinks you know, a uh, woman with snakes on their head is really awesome. So not that yeah, it isn't. Yeah, the
1: D and D nerd and the comic nerd. Yeah. Are intertwined.
0: So maybe that they had like a, a meeting with a couple MBAs, and they said, you know, this is a market, you know, that we need to address, and then Thor popped out with like a little Thor baby. Yeah, meeting, at the same time
1: you would think if that was true that more people would buying the comics but maybe I'm naive and maybe they are But
0: not a lot of people buying Thor I, I know Marvel sales are pretty grim these days across the board but mm-hmm. Thor sells about 20,000 copies a month that's not a lot of Thor fans
1: wow so you even know the number I thank do. you for uh, thank you for prepping that yep. wow.
0: well you call me off of the nerd then I might as, well, might as well lay it all out on the line
1: yeah exactly we got you for what you are yep. Okay, Matt.
0: Yeah, uh, Thomas. Do um, you know what the biggest movie this past weekend was?
1: I'm gonna act like I don't.
0: Yeah, it was a little flick called uh, Fast Five. Uh, fast you Five. What yeah. What that is? It's not a story I'm, about uh, fast food. It's a story about
1: cars. Oh, I thought it was about the fastest high five anyone has ever given after a football game. No.
0: That sort of that sort of movie doesn't make 86 million dollars over a weekend. Ooh.
1: That's, that's no, a lot I probably should. wouldn't. Now, uh, 86 million in one weekend.
0: That's I, I ran the numbers, and it's somewhere between 86 million and a billion dollars that this is going to make uh, in the theaters, and then inevitable, you know, <laughs> DVD kits that are inside of like uh, you know rims and stuff that I assume they're going to sell at Walmart. Yeah, DVDs with spinners. Yeah. I can't wait to see that. The local megamart. So yeah. that's pretty exciting. I mean, I've read reactions to that as as varied as. Well, you know, it's a popcorn movie, and people aren't ready for that, too. It's the end of civilization and society as we know it. I'm kind of curious Mm -hmm. what your reaction is. Is that uh, a sign of the end of times? The end is near?
1: This is exactly what I expect, though. I mean, it's pre-summer blockbuster time. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a movie that's, what, the fifth? It's Fast Five, so it's the fifth of the sequel. I mean, we're talking almost a double trilogy here on (laughs) Racing Rice Burners. So... Um, no, it doesn't surprise me in the least. I imagine that those numbers will probably drop off after the first week and maybe we'll make like two hundred million over the the course, which is, you know, a pretty good number for a movie like this. Yeah. But yeah, it it doesn't surprise me in the least, but at the same time anytime summer comes around, you just sort of shake your heads thinking that there's all this opportunity for better movies and yet we've got fast five. Fast five and I
0: mean, obviously, I'm not going to trip over and, you know, find myself in a theater watching Fast Five anytime soon, so I guess I, I don't have to worry, but uh, I'm fairly insulated by it. But, uh, I mean, it's kind of curious, and I know people want their mindless entertainment. I'm not going to be the first one to judge, because if people looked at my window, and saw what I was watching, they'd probably look less me. So.
1: Well, I'll judge first, and you can be the second to judge. How about that?
0: <laughs> I'm right behind you, then.
1: I saw a little film, I uh, got a screener for an MGM film that was released, a 1958 film called Cop Hater. What? It was, yeah, Cop Hater. Not politically
0: correct. No,
1: it's not, but it's 1958, and what was politically correct in 1958, right? Beating your white. Nope. Nope. Uh, nothing. Uh, Hating commies. Haters. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, um, yeah, so it's released by MGM. It's, uh their new print-on-demand movie series. I know Warner Brothers is released in the Warner Archives. I think this is MGM's response yeah. to it. This is one of the movies that comes along with it.
0: Cool idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, Robert Loja, a young nice. 1958 Robert Loja, who I didn't first recognize as the main character in this little cop boilerplate drama. And you know, for 1958, it's, it's a 70-minute B-movie. Yeah. I was extremely surprised by the sexuality of this film. Like, just completely surprised by what they show you. Because you go into 1960, you see Janet Lee walking around in a bra in Psycho. Scandalous. That's two years later, yeah. right? She's just sort of strutting around in it. This movie, I would say, even goes a couple notches above that. Because one of the cops comes home to his wife, who's sitting around in her underwear with a little... I don't know, was it a negligee on over it, some little lacy number on top, but you can pretty much see through it, and she opens it up a number of times, including as her cop husband leaves the room, she's sort of airing out her breasts to the public in whatever apartment she's in in New York. And, yeah, I was just completely surprised by that in 1958, because you always think of 1967 as the year that the doors blew off of her. Yeah, I mean, it happened earlier than that, I know, it was probably like 1965, the The first walls were being broken down with um, movies like The Pawn Broker, but then 1967, that's when all the uh, production code came about, yeah. or got ripped down, I should say. Yeah, so
0: at this era, you had to submit the movie to, to get a certificate, correct, and there really wasn't a lot of debate like there is today going back and forth, per
1: se. Right, I guess there was probably a lot of debate, but it was over whether certain people like the Catholic League would approve your film or not, and if they didn't, that was pretty much a death knell, and some of the earlier films before the removal of the production code, uh, like, I think Pawnbroker was one of them, they went ahead, even though they didn't get one of the approvals, I forget which group it was by, they still went ahead and said, okay, no big deal, it was kind of something they would market off of, maybe it was Blow Up that did that. Okay. it ended up being a thing where getting that production code stamp of approval wasn't a huge deal as of 1967, so they went into the rating system G, PG, yeah, as we, R. roughly as
0: we know it today at the very least. Yeah,
1: roughly as we know it. Yeah. I can't remember if those were the exact ratings that they gave at the time. I definitely know there was a an X that came up, and PG-13 came much later. Yeah. but Yeah, I was just surprised to see that in 1958 they had still had a lot of things... So you're saying 1958 mm-hmm.
0: is the year that we can mark our morality going down the crapper, Tom?
1: Yeah, we might be able to move it back a little bit further, but I'm de- definitely pushing that marker back a little bit. I mean, they hate cops, with, and uh, she's cop showing people.
0: off her bosom buzz so...
1: Yeah, knows. yeah. I've got a, a review and a picture on, on uh, Jackass Critics of this movie. Anyone wants to check out my thoughts on it further? I actually thought it was a pretty interesting film. The production values weren't all that special. It was definitely a B film. Yeah, they're it. probably making the second
0: of a double feature, or you know, the first one, the opening movie, or whatever.
1: Oh yeah, it was all of maybe seventy-three minutes, seventy-four minutes long, with all the the uh, title sequences and uh, credits and whatnot.
0: That's spanking it out. And Matt. Oh yeah. Well, uh, we talked last week during our. Awesome award winning podcast about Into the Void, of one of Gaspar Noe's uh, inspirations being the noir film Lady in the Lake, and that was enough to uh, interest me into continuing on. I, kinda, I hope it
1: interested others as well.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the first-person stuff is, I mean, you could argue it's a gimmick, and it's kind of gimmicky. But uh,
1: Which I did in our original podcast, I must say. I did argue that it's being a gimmick, and I wasn't really hot on Lady in the Lake. Uh, I'm digging, myself, I'm digging the heck
0: out of it. Yes, I mean, I just think they were so uncomfortable with the camera as the, uh, as the character that uh, they really overly hammed it up, and your typical noir film, you know, they're kind of overacting to begin with. But uh, thus far, I, I really enjoyed the flick, and I've kind of recommended it to a few
1: people afterwards. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I remember there were some funny things about this movie. Like, the it's supposed to take place during Christmas, but at the same time, it's a Marlowe detective drama, which is supposed to be one of these hard-boiled detective films, like, yeah. what well, you see Humphrey Bogart in uh, The Big Sleep, Yeah. or The Long Goodbye, which is an upcoming podcast that we're planning. Nice. That's also a Marlowe film, yeah. right, by uh, Robert Altman, many years later, in, uh, I think, 1972 or 1971. So, it's interesting, they, they planned this one during Christmas, and the opening title sequence, I remember had like this Christmas music and it had this uh, Christmas arty drawing with Lady in the Lake and I just kept thinking you know these people walking into the house with gifts in their hand and the words Lady in the Lake yeah you know a, a dead body in the lake it seemed like a very funny. Uh, <laughs>
0: they're going for a, a strong contrast between, you know, a sense of irony, I guess, and, and the presentation of the titles. And it is a obviously the, those title sequence that stuck with you. So maybe it was effective, or maybe it was not for effective sure. in that you thought it was ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I and mean, the final Robert. title card—they're pulling them off one by one—is a little tiny con just to set yeah. you up for what you're what's about to happen here. So I think they're going for a, a sense of irony there in terms of. Uh, setting it, you know, during a time of giving, but you know, most of the characters are taking, you know, which is with your typical noir fashion. You know, can't trust anybody, and especially the dames. And,
1: mm-hmm. and if anyone's given, they're given bullets.
0: <laughs> exactly, giving you a little lead. One. Yeah, piece at the,
1: a time. The next one's not coming out of my hand. That's potent fifty cent, by the way. Fifty
0: cent. You think you can handle this low Tom? Uh, pass. It's of guns,
1: dude. What are you talking Uh-oh. about? That's what he's talking about. That's oh, God. jeez! I thought he meant something. Oh, hey, no wonder geez. you reviewed it so poorly. He didn't even understand oh. the movie. I'm about to go back and re-understand it. <laughs> I'm also going to have to go back and take a look at Lady in the Lake. I think. I'd recommend. I, I don't it. think I'm going to change my opinion of it, but after seeing Enter the Void and after you've seen it now, I'm, I'm more curious to take another look at it again, so we can have a further discussion on it.
0: I, I went in expecting. Well, I guess I, I like the gimmick. I, I can't help myself, so that was. Yeah, and the lead and it, actress is pretty pretty amusing with her facial expressions, just hamming it up, way over the top.
1: Way over the top, yeah. yeah. And I also like how Robert Montgomery, uh, the director and actor who plays essentially the hand that you see, is um, introducing the film, and he introduces it in such this 1940s way of... Uh, hi. What you're about to see is yeah. an experiment in filmmaking like nothing you've ever seen before.
0: It reminded me of a, a William Castle type introduction. I don't know if you've seen any of his. Yeah, yeah, movies. exactly. Yeah.
1: Like The Tingler. Yeah, yeah. and
0: I, I, dig that. I mean, I can't help myself. I really find it corny <laughs> and entertaining at the same time. Just, uh, I, I wish that the DVD Netflix a chip had a waiver that I had to sign that said, you know, my heart was checked and my doctor said it was okay. I, I would totally buy that. And I, I can't
1: help myself. <laughs> Oh, yes. You you are the William Castle target for sure.
0: <laughs> so, Tom, bring us home. Give us that last bullet in the chamber. What do you got?
1: Make it good. I've got, I got one last bullet, yep. and that is that Warner Brothers today, so this one's hot off the stoves, as I they say, they're buying Flickster. Okay. Okay. I don't know if you know what Flickster is. Tell me is. what Flickster is. Okay. I, I actually use Flickster on my mobile a lot. I haven't really visited the site, but I look up movie times on my uh on my Android and, you know, figure out what movies are close. Yeah. It's easy to go back and forth between theaters and figure out which place has the best show times. So I use Flickster for that. It's uh how did they describe it here? A movie discovery site. Okay. And I assume it's free for you as a user. Yeah, it's free for me as a user. I didn't have to pay for the app nice. or anything. But along with Flickster, uh, Warner Brothers ends up purchasing Rotten Tomatoes, oh, which no is... Yeah, which is the the website that takes a conglomeration of movie reviews across the interwebs, piles them all together, and gives you a quote-unquote freshness rating for a movie. Uh, So one out of a hundred, it's a percentage that they give you one out of a hundred for a movie, so if a movie's really good, it's 99% freshness or 100% freshness, which you rarely get. There's always a couple people out there who don't like it, but...
0: Like me with this guy, my Dean movie, probably, but... (sighs) Hey!
1: Oh... I'm supposed to get beaten up for that? The Guy mm-hmm. Mad movie. I love yeah, our Canadian friends. I shouldn't, I shouldn't talk trash. Yes, that's right. You, you know. better uh, stand in line, son, because the Maple Leaf is coming down. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, it, it, it's kind of a curious purchase, because here you have Warner Brothers, who releases a lot of movies, obviously. They're one of the big you studios, know. and they end up purchasing this tool that a lot of people use to check out the movies and what all the critics say and it's funny because this happened earlier today and i do follow the rotten tomatoes on twitter and whoever's controlling the twitter on rotten tomatoes was sounding very defensive and throwing lots of jokes out there about how oh yeah they're definitely gonna whine us and dine us and all this other stuff and blah 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 and just like reposting all these things like about people who were saying that it's completely absurd that people think there's going to be a slant but It's not that people think that there's going to be a slant on Rotten Tomatoes coming up. It's just that there's a high possibility that, well, there's a potential for it to happen, I guess. It's there Yes. people should recognize. It's it's easy to tweak an algorithm to slant it in a certain direction.
0: It's tough to put the cat back in the bag, and obviously I'm assuming they paid more than a bag of chips for the rights to acquire Flixster.
1: Oh, I was shocked when I heard the number was between sixty and ninety million was the value of Flickster. I thought, wow. That is
0: kinda surprising th- for what seems to amount to a relatively simple site. Oh yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, that just tells me the Jackass critics is in the neighborhood of twenty to forty million. Uh, right. Let's let's be honest with ourselves and Okay. I'm gonna use that as a down payment
0: for my Porsche, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's that's positive. That's a pretty large <laughs> down payment. Yeah. Uh, Gold-plated Porsche.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're tainted, and I guess there's uh, some good reason to be cynical in that the meshing of the old-world media and the new-world media thus far has been relatively unsuccessful. I mean, uh, even Amazon purchasing IMDb, I mean, those are both Mm kind of new-media-type companies, but still, it's been kind of choppy and not the most successful, and I know I'm not the only one that... Isn't too pleased with IMDb these days. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> and I know in the tech world that's like AOL purchased like TechCrunch and a bunch of blogs, trying to kind of make a- the AOL brand relevant again. And, and give them credit for trying something different, but uh, it's been a very choppy integration. I know of, of those sites, and mm-hmm. uh, it's just been tainted with you know people saying you know you can't trust these independent blogs that you know we gave all this traffic to anymore because. Obviously, there's a bias here, and they are spent $90 million, yeah. so you got to get $90 million of value. I mean, it makes sense. you got to return it to your shareholders, if you're uh, Warner Brothers, or if you're Amazon, or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess the only other interesting to no- uh, thing to note in Rotten Tomatoes' favor is that at one point, they were owned by Robert Murdoch's News Corp., so... It's not as if they weren't...
0: independent. Oh,
1: no. Yeah, it, It's yeah. I mean, if, if Fox owned them at one point, now Warner Brothers owns them, how different are those two actions? But it's still just such a strange purchase to me.
0: They're getting passed around like a bong
1: at a Michigan State party right there. Well said, Matt, well said. Yeah. And that was Bullets in the Chamber. Wrapped it up. That's right. And before we get on to our main event, yeah. I'd like to throw out a little teaser. At the end of our uh, main event sequence, we'll be talking about a few details regarding our next episode nice. which will not be a movie review episode we're actually going to dive into something a little different still along the theme of film and movies we're going to unearth that at the end of this episode <laughs> and Should... we hope that maybe some of you will get involved with helping us guide that episode a little class involved.
0: participation never hurt anybody
1: that's right yeah. and you can get involved by Liking us on Facebook and posting something on our wall, following us on Twitter, sending us a message, or just sending us the old-fashioned Gmail. Email, yeah. yeah. I mean, don't you want to Tom say, say you, you were here at Pitch. the beginning? Com. I
0: mean, everybody loves to say I was at the first Nirvana concert. I mean,
1: Which I was, by the way. Which
0: I remember the pictures of Tom was. It was really blurry, and it didn't look that much like you, but I still believe it.
1: Right, and, right.
0: And, uh, I mean, now's your time to get in on the ground floor. I hear we're going to be worth $100 million here right around the corner,
1: so maybe you want to that's get right. in while you can. There's Flickster, and then there's JackassCritics.com above that. JackassCritics.com.
0: So. How many podcasts do those clowns have?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Probably a lot, but whatever. Yeah, no, no, zero. They I don't think. have bullets in the chamber. That's correct. That property for, worth $20 million. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I got 20 more of those swirling around in my head just waiting to pop up on this podcast. Nice. Okay, so. What's
0: our let me main crack event the Tom? Knuckles here. What's the big thing? The
1: main event. Oh, yeah. As we said before, the main event is Brain Upon the Brain. Exclamation point. The Remembrance. Yeah, exclamation point. That's the last time I'll put the emphasis. Yeah. I will remove the exclamation <sighs> guy point. Ma- guy Madden wants you to emphasize it, from what I can tell. Yes, and so does Guy Madden. Oh, oh um, Thomas. Oh. Canada's our friend. Oh, jeez. Guy Madden. Yep, guy Madden. There we go. So it's a Remembrance in 12 chapters. Um, The main character, also named Guy Madden, by the way, yeah, weird, is a house painter who goes back to his childhood home, which also happens to be a lighthouse on an island and also happened to be an orphanage when he was younger, although his parents were the ones running it. He wasn't the orphan. Uh, He goes back there at the request of his mother to give it two coats of paint as she plans to revisit it and Guy for the first time in 30 years. So, as Guy returns to the island, he is greeted by a rush of memories from his childhood. And these memories sort of take the place of, uh, or they become these surreal events within the film. Uh, for example, when he was younger, I think maybe about seven or eight, uh, or maybe a little bit older than that, I couldn't okay. really tell from the film. Um, Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys-style teen detective, uh, comes to the island secretly investigating Guy's parents. Guy falls in love with... Uh, with the female detective and his sister unknowingly also falls in love with the female detective who takes on the costume of her male brother, detective, when Wendy Hale and chance Hale. So, um, yeah, so Wendy falls in love at the same time as discovering some creepy things that are happening at guys, parents, orphanage, and some of the creepy things that they're doing to the orphans and guys, sister, also known as Sis. Yeah. So the film is directed by Canadian filmmaker Guy Madden in 2006. It's actually set in Seattle, so we can't really call this a Canadian film other than the fact that Guy Madden directed it. Yeah. Uh, and the film, it's at both times surreal. It's supposedly autobiographical and... Uh, I don't know. Let's see. What what else do we di- uh, dive into right now, Matt? Well, I
0: mean, there's certainly a lot to go on there, and if you listen to your synopsis, or as I was listening to your synopsis, I was just kind of counting. It's not fair to call them red herrings, but all the obvious Instances of the symbolism in terms of the lighthouse and the paint mm-hmm. and the duality or that the number two keeps repeating itself and right um, a, as you mentioned a little bit in terms of uh the presentation and the style of presentation lends you to yeah not really be sure it it does seem to indicate or lead you to believe that it's autobiographical and it starts out relatively easy enough to to believe. I mean, the mm-hmm. presentation is definitely fanciful in the beginning, but oh, yeah. uh, you're, you're initially thinking, okay, well, this is going to be a straightforward story, but uh, we take a, mm-hmm. a strong left turn fairly early on.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. And let's let's uh, let's stick to the style because I think that's the most gripping thing that you see up front. So the movie is a semi—I guess I'll call it a semi-silent film. Yeah. There's really hang no on, dialogue. Hang on, we
0: just lost half the audience. Come, come back, yeah, come back.
1: Bye-bye, bye-bye. Don't be scared. See, see you next episode, hopefully. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So there's no dialogue spoken in the film, but there are Foley sounds, there's a narration, and at one point there's a song that SIS sings. It's sort of like a, a 1920s-style number that'll just melt your heart away. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the this audio style that they use is very reminiscent of... I would say the mid to late twenties when they were still making the, the move over to talkies, but they were sort of breaking down little barriers along the way. Right. Sometimes you would have sounds like in city lights, you'd hear the slamming of the car door so that the blind girl thinks that Charlie Chaplin's rich. So they have a lot of sounds like that within this movie.
0: Fanciful sounds, and, Yeah.
1: Yes. And just to give you a bit of a background too, uh, these sounds, if you saw this film when it came out or when it was going through the film circuits, uh, the film festival circuits, sorry, rather, Yeah. Um, they had a Foley team there creating the sounds on stage along with a 12-piece orchestra giving you the background music and a narrator uh, who may have been Isabella Rossellini, mm-hmm. it may have been Lou Reed, it may have been... Um, what is that guy's name? Udo Kerr, who plays oh, in all the nice. Warner films. Yeah. Yeah. He, it, yeah, it was apparently said that um, he talked to the guy who was doing the sound there, and he said, by the way, I'm the only one that's going to give you reverb. Nice. Because his voice is so deep. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. And Crispin Glover. And, Crispin um, if you Hellion get, Glover, nice. Yeah, so, I mean, it, you think about what you see when you go to see this at a film festival. It's just a completely different experience, because it's almost like you're going to, I mean, on one hand, it's like you're going to an old style, the silent film where they had, you know, all the music being played sort of on the side because yeah. they didn't have a soundtrack to go with it. At the same time, it's almost like you're going to a play because there are all these people that are around that are creating the performance for you, helping what's, what you're seeing on the screen. Well, doing the live fully, I mean, that's certainly an art
0: and it's pretty much a lost art to a great degree. I mean, uh, I'm kind of a fan of the old-time radio, so yeah, that certainly yeah. was an era when you know you had your sound guys that knew, you know, if you had to create the sound of opening up a, a, a package of peanuts, they they had the devices necessarily to, necessary to do that, and uh, yeah, yeah. I appreciate them, you know, reviving that art, and I'm sure that was pretty cool to see that live in person, an event more than just a movie is, you know, itself.
1: Yeah, there there's one one part there too where I saw. Um, a clip of one of the festivals, and they actually had a guy there chomping down on a quarter section of a watermelon. Nice. Yeah, I, I don't know what sound that was for in the film. I'll leave that to your imagination. Maybe we'll get to it later.
0: Yeah, yeah. you can go off and watch the movie now with that tidbit in mind and look for it.
1: Yeah. And, and one effect that this has in the film, even when you watch it on DVD, is the soundtrack is very disjointed from the picture. You, you notice that? like, <laughs> When you're watching something happen, sometimes the sound clicks in... Like, a tenth of a second later but it's just enough so it's noticeable
0: well for a large degree the pitcher is disjointed from the pitcher and that doesn't make much sense it's kind of a yogi berra-esque saying but uh yeah you know it it definitely skips around intentionally and i'm sure we'll get into the the presentation more in terms of the visuals but yeah, oh yeah it's definitely off off uh you know slightly off the key or off the kilter in terms of what you're seeing might arrive later and, and stuff like that and I mean, I appreciated the audio work, I think, a lot more than the visual, as a matter of fact.
1: Oh, yeah, the audio was was pretty intense, especially when you start to hear the garbled tones coming from his mother Yeah. over the the Aero phone, which we may talk about a little bit later, but sure. the, the way she spoke, because you would hear her saying something to Guy over this phone multiple times within the film. You saw the title card that told you what she was saying, but whatever you heard was like all garbled, like it was coming over a shortwave radio that wasn't in tune or within the right frequency, and it had this very ominous feel about it, like some evil creature from beyond the grave. Right.
0: No, I mean, I I think I was probably as hesitant as probably most of our listeners will be, than and most common people, I guess, are you know just uh, passive film fans about watching a movie that's labeled as silent. I think you're gonna lose. A tremendous amount of your uh, audience there, and mm-hmm. I think Guy Madden understands that. He certainly knew what he was getting into. Uh, but and I didn't love the movie per se, but I I don't think the uh, silent nature of it, which really you know as you covered isn't silent, but that's not the reason to to not watch the movie. I think, uh, and I I even noticed I think somewhere and I didn't know if we talked about, but it's broken up into chapters. I, yes. I think there's a period for two or three chapters where there's not really even any title cards or anything. It's just, but still your attention is kept on the film and and you don't suffer from the lack of just dialogue happening all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, and let's just move into the visual style now because I think that's that's a good segue in the visual style. One of the things that kept me going in this that probably wouldn't keep me going in a lot of the other, not other, but a lot of older silent films from that old period is how fast they cut in this movie. So we're transitioning into visual style right. now. Did you notice how fast that they would cut or that they would, uh, like fast forward within a scene? What what a nightmare to edit this movie. I can't
0: fathom the, the, the number of cuts amazing. they must've made. And it, it definitely, I'm sure it was a conscious decision to try to keep, you know, uh, 20, 2011 or 2006 audience, more engaged in a in a film that you know is silent and you know is off kilter mm-hmm. a bit along with the visual style but uh I mean constant editing uh, speeding up of the film and slowing down the film and playing with uh the speeds and and yeah. going back to the shot after just a reaction shot and uh, adding blurs and and fades and pops onto the the imagery and stuff I mean just trying to get yeah. capture that twenties era.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of the visual style too was, uh, and you're right, I think a lot of it was to keep the audience. There's definitely a really heavy contrast with the film. He was shooting on a Super 8, so he wasn't shooting on the most expensive film equipment yeah. at all. We're talking 8mm film.
0: Yeah.
1: And he was shooting on some high contrast film, and I think what that did really was it gave him the ability to use spaces that he wouldn't get to use if he had higher quality. For example, right. When you go up into the lighthouse and you, you see when mother's sort of rotating on the, the lighthouse light looking for guy, you see that light just shoot out of there, but you don't often see what's on the periphery.
0: No, I mean, it's, it can be draped in a black cloth and, and I I found myself wondering, I wonder how that set really looks. I'm sure it's completely anticlimactic. I'm sure there's practically nothing there. Um, but yet you I mean again this is probably the low budget filmmaker's idea you're definitely stretching Mm -hmm. your dollar because there's the one interesting centerpiece of, of your lighthouse and then you know your brain, I guess, is filling in the details where you expect everything else to be similarly, you know, put together and how did they build this lighthouse, you know, it's got these weird angles and this wood look Mm -hmm. and everything and you kind of just fill in, similar to like an old-time radio where you're getting a few of the details and then your brain's filling in the rest and I I imagine the rest of the house was crazy like that as well but you never really see a large portion of it.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. And the other times that I would think about this too and it's usually when they're in the lighthouse, but when they go into somebody's room and you look at this lighthouse, you think, how many rooms can it have for all these orphans? But somehow they were able to create this this sense of space that you never felt was... um, uh, that was incorrect because they were able to sort of twist that space. Part of it goes to being surreal. Part of it goes to, um, I think, just how they were using the light, like I said. And um, I, I thought it was a really, really cool tool. It, not only did it have a really neat visual effect, but it, it really worked well within the film and within defining where these people were. Because like you were saying, if, if you look at a regular film that you would go to the theater see today, you know, somebody walks into the house, you're in that room in that house, yeah. you see all corners of it. Oh, yeah,
0: you know the brand of cereal right. there it's in their kitchen and everything, I mean.
1: right. You can't help and, it. And with this, all those details are removed. It breaks it down to its, its most basic, but at the same time, you do feel like you get a sense for where certain things probably belong, or at least you don't think that it's being compromised. Yeah.
0: I mean, I do have a few bones to pick with some of the visual representation. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I, and I'm going to sound like a hypocrite since I was earlier talking about my love of gimmicks, but I think it was... To the point of being gimmicky, um, some of the effects that were applied, I'm sure, during the filming and after the filming, in terms of the, the thing that really ir- irritated me was the pinhole cam, where he the would pinhole put, cam. you know, the mask in front of the camera and only give us the, eyeball view or like one eyeball view, and I don't know what the intention was there, but it seemed as soon as I noticed it, then I was gritty my teeth every time it did happen. Um, <laughs> it's just a a thing that he kept relying on over and over again to... Uh, I'm sure he would come on and say it was giving us a sense of of uh, feeling we we're, were in a closed space or something. I mean, it just it seemed like baloney to me because it was a way to stretch out the movie and oh, it was really
1: irritating. Oh, which scene in particular are you talking about? Uh, a lot of the, the scenes on Hull, the beach
0: when all three characters were kind of walking by three characters, oh, I yeah. mean Guy... Sis and Wendy slash I forget the brother's name. Um the one Chance. Wendy, yeah, uh, who's kind of portraying herself as Chance, which time talked about a little bit where she kind of pretends that she's uh her brother in order to woo
1: the brother detective. Woo
0: Sis. Um so it seemed like every time we popped over into the uh, beach, especially with them walking, we get this like pinhole cam with the uh, camera being masked off, or 90% of it, and we've got a moving kind of eye in front of the camera, and oh my gosh.
1: I don't remember that as much as I remember the lens being smeared with Vaseline oh, to yeah. give it that sort of oral look, You know that that heavenly aura. We're in uh, Utopia type feel when they're running on the beach together.
0: We haven't got we haven't gotten into the story very much, but I do feel like to some degree, the visual work was done to make up for the lack of story, and and we can kind of get into that more as we talk about the story itself and some of the themes and stuff. But there, uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, themes and there's a lot of symbols mm-hmm. that are thrown in there. But I again yeah. feel like those were kind of just thrown in to bulk the movie up and to give it more body than it actually has at its core, but we'll we'll talk about that.
1: Yeah, so I I might be able to answer one of those questions right now because um, in in watching an interview that Guy Madden did that was actually on the disc, he mentioned that they got um, the green light from this Seattle movie company to uh, do a film in a certain location and they had no script and they had a week left. Okay. So he knew he couldn't write the script, so that's one of the reasons they went to silent. Okay. Okay. So they knew they couldn't write a script. They decided to go the title cards route and Mm -hmm. do an old-time silent film. Based on some of his autobiographical feelings, supposedly yeah supposedly yeah. right, so he claims it's ninety seven percent true, but obviously it's ninety seven percent times whatever surrealist visions he also had, because right. I don't think that his papa was inventing no aerophone, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it did seem to me,
0: and that's interesting uh, that at most there was kind of a one page plot that was fleshed mm-hmm. out amongst I saw the himself, and there was another gentleman as the writer. And then
1: mm-hmm. uh, his old film professor at uh, a college in Winnipeg uh, okay. or University of Winnipeg.
0: So showing the old film film prof some love. And then I just thought they threw a lot of symbolism in there to get some interest in people and interest some mm-hmm. certain groups of people or whatever, and to interest your typical art film fan. And then they jazzed up the visual style as well to just match that. And the 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 foundation of the house, the stilts of the house, I think are very, very weak, and then there's a lot of flair <laughs> thrown on top of, of it, and it's it's well-done flair, and I appreciate his art <laughs> and his vision and his achievement of that vision, but it doesn't necessarily make it entertaining for me.
1: Yeah. It, in a way, it was a very sentimental film, because you can tell, I mean, I mean, hear it in your voice, where you kind of appreciate what he was able to do, because it's there's definitely a sentimentality there for silent films films from the 20s and 30s the films that were moving into being talkies right he has a great knowledge of that and not only a great knowledge of those films and how they look but just like even the most arcane details you think about some of the title cards that that were being shown in the movie right one of them says to be kissed by such a boy yeah. right we're, we're not talking about 2006 lingo here you know, no, this is absolutely. straight out of 1920s lingo that you would see on some card from a Hardy Boys mystery yeah. movie, right? Yeah. Or a penny for your thoughts as they're lying there in bed. Right? Who says these things? <laughs>
0: that is definitely dated. Uh, and that's some yeah. more visual flair, I guess, to distract you from the snoozer. Yeah. But
1: <laughs> and, I mean, there there was all sorts of other things, too. Like I thought some of the inventions and some of the technology that was actually in the film – had this sentimentality as well. Like when you think of the aerophone, if we want to dive into that. So yeah. to explain it to anyone Please, yeah. who hasn't who hasn't uh watched the movie and again I should should have said this at the outset that we will probably spoil a lot of the film. So we definitely definitely recommend seeing it. Yeah. but um the aerophone is a device that his father invented, a father that you never see in the film. Um at least well you see him in the film, you just don't see him actively yeah. right he's always working on inventions but it's a device that his mother uses to contact them almost like a modern day cell phone but it looks like a uh an old phonograph the way it has this horn coming out you hear out of the horn you speak into the horn and according to guy it ran on emotions. yeah
0: and it's almost <laughs> flesh colored and flesh textured i think intentionally as well just to add a Creepy factor to it, and and you know a, a human humanity to the actual device. Right. You know, it's not like a Motorola bag phone. It definitely is like uh, a Cronenberg type take on what a cell phone would be or something.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And it's um, it, it was just interesting because when you think of that, right? You think back in the twenties or the teens or whatever. This movie could have been made within this style. That's probably maybe not far off the type of technology they were looking at. Maybe it's something that you could have seen in a metropolis by Fritz Lang at the time, looking forward and seeing technology run like that, looking like that. So in a way, Guy Madden had to look backwards and then look forward right from, from that era in order to create some of these inventions or like that crazy eye in the sky that his mother was using to spy on the kids. It was essentially, the lighthouse tower, but every time they were out at night, you would see this creepy ominous light scanning across the bushes as they were hiding in these uh, dunes and whatnot. And she has on this sort of rotating chair, she could see through this light. And yeah, that was a- another creepy invention by Father, which I thought was uh, had a great effect in the film. And it was one of these things where it felt like it was something that came out of shoot me to the moon or whatever that old movie is right. called right yeah and no yeah. that
0: definitely you hearken back to to that uh uh well tom i'm not that impressed because you know marty mcfly and back to the future figured out what uh george mcfly's vision of what the future was like and that's you know wearing the radiation suit and a yeah, walking. Okay. so if marty mcfly can right. figure it out then i mean guy madden can figure it out and
1: yeah okay not the sharpest <laughs> knife in the drawer i understand <laughs> Okay. So I think that about wraps up our talk on the visual style. We had a lot of themes that we wanted to discuss. Yeah.
0: yeah and they'll kind of merge together a little bit So as I complain and whine.
1: Yeah. yeah. So do you have any more complaints and whines that you want to unleash upon us, Matthew?
0: <sighs> yeah. I mean, we might as well talk about some of these. And Brent upon the brain, Tom, <laughs> tell me what's going on yeah. with that. I, I need your wisdom. You're a well-versed man, young man in, in terms of film and, and fiction, and you have a little well, bit more knowledge on, on this film. What's up with, A, the title itself, um, and B, the exclamation point at the end?
1: Well, I thank you for the introduction, by the way. Yeah. You're making me sound like a, a regular film scholar, which I'm not, but uh, <laughs> I'll take it nonetheless.
0: That speaks a lot about your circle of friends. Everybody just looks at you and like, "Oh, Tom, you're the man. Take the yeah. Take the
1: reins here, boy. Take the reins. I don't want them. Um, (laughs) No, but uh, Brand Upon the Brain, and a lot of this I'm not coming up with on my own, but I've heard from interviews and and whatnot. So a lot of it was autobiographical, and what I think Guy Madden was doing was reaching back into this point in his childhood where he felt like it was something that, I guess, left a mark on him. It is something that he remembers, something that has changed the way that he has grown because of this experience that he had in his childhood. He talked a lot about how his, uh, in this one interview, if we can harken back to Thor here, oh boy. he was saying that his older sister, who is the parallel to Sis in this movie, yeah. as she was getting older and as she was entering puberty, the way he put it was as soon as a pubic hair would start to sprout, his mother with the hammer of Thor would try to... Uh, Break it back into her, or (laughs) slam it back into her. So I guess he had somewhat of an overbearing mother, as we can see a parallel in this film, because the mother is uh, completely terrorizing everybody within the movie. So Brand Upon the Brain, to me, means that um, he's going back to a place in his childhood that had a, a very... Hard effect on him. Maybe traumatic isn't the way to put it. Yeah. But it's something that has branded or is branded within his mind. And I think it also has another meaning, too, uh, especially when you give it that exclamation point. Yes. It goes back to some of the creature features, maybe some of the sci-fi flicks like Them. Yeah. Right? Them has the exclamation point at the end. I, so I think he's just that's jumping decades
0: the, in terms of his uh, his winks to uh, past films of past.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, part of it is going back to these old sci-fi films because he does reach back into that bag a little bit but the title itself i i believe is just
0: that was a sort of the the avenue i was driving down in the beginning you know i'm looking at the cover and i'm looking at i put the, the film in and it starts and it's fairly straightforward in terms of presenting it as an autobiography or a, a true tale of of young guy and mm-hmm. uh, it's all presented fairly straightforwardly, I mean, with panache and flair at the beginning while he's painting and, you know, remembering his early childhood and stuff, but then it, it goes off-kilter so much in terms of the presentation. I mean, it's more ridiculous than, you know, an Aesop's fairy tale or, or something like that in terms of the story itself, and then the presentation is just another level of crazy on top of that. Right. It seemed ill-fitting to me, and maybe that's just my you know, two straight laced mind, uh, interpreting it. But I understand something happened and this is an artistic interpretation of that. Yeah, absolutely. That's not really an appropriate title. I guess maybe I'm overthinking that though.
1: I I still think it's appropriate. I I mean, he gives it a surrealist twist. Uh, So some of the things that you're talking about, obviously, right dad being the inventor downstairs that you really never see his face. You never hear him talk. He's just down there pounding away on things. And... So, so
0: we we probably conclude that dad wasn't very communicative. He worked in the coal mines or some crap like that. And
1: dad was sort of out of the picture. Yeah. That's what we can, that's what we can assume about the real guy. Matt sure. most likely dad was out of the picture and mother was definitely in the picture. And, and she was crazy. Yeah. Overbearing with respect to his sister. And, um, she definitely had a, a heavy mother son relationship, so she was <laughs> all about her little guy, yeah, uh, heaping loads of affection upon him and his bosom, yeah, yeah, and uh there's definitely some stroking and nuzzling of the ear and Other. holding food in her mouth, so a guy could rip it out of there and
0: and and I'd like for the record that Tom picked these two movies in a row, so this isn't don't blame me for yeah. the, the mommy and <laughs> feeding the little babies and cuddling and I mean, sniffing places where bodily functions happen. I mean, that's that's not me.
1: But for the record, I gave options. <laughs> you just so, give
0: options. So if blah. that Altman movie's got some, some mommy-son action, I'm I'm turning it off. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you, and then I'm going to just say on the podcast I didn't watch it because of X, Y, and Z. <laughs> so uh, why do you think Guy wrote the movie with himself in it? Is that uh, it's going to carry more weight? Uh, uh, I mean... That's that's a red flag for me, like this, uh, something that I'm already on guard about, that somebody does that. A little narcissistic. Yeah.
1: yeah. He mentioned at one point that the further along he got in his film career, the more he wanted to start making movies about his own experiences and his own life, or at least he found that he was making things that were more autobiographical. And this, I mean, it just screams it if he's naming the character Guy Madden in the film.
0: But you can still make the same movie and have the guy's name be Herbert, and and it's still autobiographical and completely about you. Could
1: call him, him Guy Bear, the old goalie oh, from the Anaheim man. Mighty Ducks.
0: Canada hate again, man. You gonna start making jokes about mayo and fries and vinegar and fries and poutine and
1: poutine? We're gonna be banned in Canada. No, no, no. I think we're going to be loved in Canada. We're like the Come two on. live crew of podcasts all of a sudden. If our third podcast is a Guy Madden podcast, we got to have some major Canada love. This
0: is true. You, I would hope so, yeah.
1: Yeah. But going, going back to the mother, yeah, I mean, there was... Um, the other thing, too, is the mother's obsession with her age and yeah. reclaiming her youth and even to the point where it gets so Freudian that she wants to go back to the point where she was even... Um, maybe even a baby or a small child before you know pre-puberty. It, there was definitely this strange obsession with her, and I think that's part of what he was speaking of when he was talking about wanting to put sister in a box, essentially, or put sis in a box yeah. and and keep her from experiencing things with this uh, this chance hail guy, yeah, or or gal,
0: yeah. I mean, it doesn't start out necessarily as uh, the mother versus the the. The sis but as it turns out um we're kind of presented young guys interpretations of what's happening and i mean exactly. obviously when you're seven or eight years old you probably don't really understand you know these the level of angst going on between the teenage daughter and a mother but uh it turns out at the end basically as as sis banishes mom off of off of her own island and away from her own orphanage and home that uh, well you can understand why yeah
1: i mean the reason mom gets banished is because she does start aging backwards. Uh, some of the things that father's working on in the basement includes, uh, pulling what they call nectar or harvesting nectar, using his ring to pull out the essence from little children, including sis, and then putting it back into mother so that she could become 20 years younger. Yeah. And then of course she starts chomping down on poor little netty vampire style. So that doesn't look good
0: now. All right. Poor answer Nettie. me this now. uh Yes. So why why include the lesbianism angle in the film? Is that like, I I don't believe that's purely because that's what happened to Sis. I, there was a conscious decision there.
1: Yeah, that part I'm still sort of cogitating, if you All will. Right. There's an interesting uh, so there's obviously this triangle, and they even present it explicitly. Yeah. Where. Guy is in love with Wendy. Wendy, The female. Yeah, yeah, Wendy the female. And Sis is in love with Chance, who is actually Wendy. So it it leads me to believe that there's some sort of either confusion on Sis's part or some confusion on Guy's part. Or maybe Guy really wanted to hang out with his sister's boyfriend a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean... It, it it can go a lot of different ways there. Or maybe there was some problems with his sister's actual boyfriend where he was sort of um, androgynous, if you will, so you could hardly tell the difference between the two. Yeah. It, it could be a lot of different things going on there. I, I couldn't really piece that one together, but maybe his sister was a little experimental. I don't know. <laughs> she definitely was in the film once she figured out that Chance was no chance, but was indeed a Wendy. Oh, Wendy. Yeah, yeah, No complaints there. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs>
0: They use some, I would say, Christian themes in terms of the He Has Risen and the Savage Tom, which is your new nickname, by the way, um, going out, basically proselytizing that, you know, Christ has risen, Father has risen. Uh,
1: I didn't see that as much as Christian as I did Frankenstein. I, I also have <laughs> Frankenstein written
0: down, but I mean, is he has? I, I'm kind of a Christian moron. Isn't mm-hmm. He Has Risen kind of like the easter phrase and and what traditionally is uh, you
1: would say christ is risen truly is risen okay and so it's it's pretty close uh,
0: some savage tom as being one of the prophets or somebody going off and and speaking the word of i mean he ran around the island telling everybody that i I didn't see
1: savage tom as being any any prophet in this movie um yeah I, i didn't see that that connotation at all but it's an interesting one for you to explore there <laughs> it didn't seem very subtle to me and i was
0: curious but apparently my, my impression is guy madden has no bounds of of i viewed all these elements as kind of spaghetti and he was just throwing it on the tree and figuring hey all lesbians cool man christianity's cool we're gonna we're gonna have lots of check boxes everybody comes see my movie
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think many people did go see this movie, though, to be honest with you. When I looked up the box office, it was something like a quarter of a million, yeah. which isn't saying a whole lot, but when you make a movie like this, very, I'm sure they I mean, had...
0: critically praised, very highly praised in terms of... Very highly praised, you know, yeah. Aside from me. Yeah. Spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those were some of my, my, my problems or, you know, the questions about what was going on there and...
1: And probably not going to satisfy any more of your your uh, your feelings about the film and, and bring it to any higher level for you, I'm sure. But <laughs> Indeed. it's still nice to talk about. Indeed. And to be honest with you, I still like the film a whole lot. Uh, I did see it, I, I watched it almost twice, I will say. I skipped around because the second time I wanted to go review a few scenes, but yeah. I found myself... Watching a lot more of the movie. Well, than like, I like you're talking about it. that,
0: you know, that you can choose your own narrator thing. I don't know if we want to get into that, but. Uh,
1: yeah, the second time around, I picked Crispin Glover. I thought that would be kind of neat. Yeah. And I listened to Guy Madden for a little bit. I think I even listened to E-Wil- Eli Wallach nice. for a moment. But uh, to me, Crispin Glover, Isabella Rossellini, I really liked the Rossellini voice. I thought her voice was very good, very kind of creepy and off kilter and, in a way. And was, I think
0: the, the Rossellini is the default one, or or at least on my disc, or when I watched it, that was the... That was for me, too. And I th- I thought that was kind of curious that a woman was chosen as, you know, what most people would, would hear, even though, you know, she's, I mean, she's presenting everyone's thoughts, but Guy is our, you know, our guide in this movie, and, you know, we're kind of seeing some of his thoughts presented through a woman, and I, I didn't know if that was,
1: I should read into that at all or not. Well, it's not pre- presented necessarily in the first person no. because she does talk about young Guy Madden. And I think if I do have the first line here, Guy Madden, house painter, swirling around in his little dreams, little memories. Yeah. Uh, it, it definitely is more of a storyteller than it is. But she's privy to his thoughts
0: uh, along the way and, and mm-hmm. things like that. So it was just
1: – As if it were a fairy tale or a fable. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I didn't know if I should read into that too much. I was probably overthinking a lot of this stuff, but, you know, it's not very often I travel down, uh, you know, one art circle lane. So if I do, I want to I wanna do a big show. I want to really bring it. There you in. go. Yeah, Bring it. That's been brought.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, then the uh, the movie, so that, that quote that I just read, yeah. right? Uh, swirling around in his little dreams, little memories. You, you think about that opening scene. He's just sort of sitting there, sleeping in his boat, this is how he he enters the island, essentially, uh, sleeping under the sun through the boat. And the movie itself is called A Remembrance in 12 Chapters. Uh, chapters 1 through 11 are essentially flashbacks into those distant memories that we've discussed. Uh, memories with the Aerophone, father being brought back to life, mother going back and forth between being 20 years younger and whatnot, sis. Whenever that foghorn goes off, she becomes a zombie, and Father harvests her nectar yeah. <laughs> to give back to Mother. Yeah. As we talk about this, more
0: and more, I realize how crazy this must sound to somebody. I mean, uh, the connection between some of these happenings and the the synopsis <laughs> of the story it doesn't seem like it's a uh, it, it does is that fairy tale ask presentation that really is a.
1: And then it, it really does come down to how much do you trust those memories? Yeah. And. Yeah, it's another one of those movies where you have a narrator that you're going to buy into one of two things. Either it's being told in a surrealist way and you just sort of buy into the fact that these things are going to be hyped up, everything's going to be a symbol of something, or you start to think that maybe the narrator himself has a twisted memory and the things that he's seen are twisted in his head because of something that happened to him that was very traumatic so it it heightens the memory that he sees right it heightens the memory of banishing his mother from the island who knows what she really did yeah but this is how it plays back in his memory and he doesn't even really know what happened to sis and chance right he only hears a story of it but then in that chapter 12 you also hear that the story he hears is From a phantom version of Wendy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean,
0: obviously, as soon as things enter into our fantasy, you know, we dive down the rabbit hole, and things obviously are not exactly as mm-hmm. presented, but still we're putting that through our filter and and like I was saying, you no, know, trying to figure, okay, the dad, you know, we never see the face, and so maybe there's right. an analogy of him working at a at the coal mine or whatever, but then chapter twelve kind of throws a monkey yeah. wrench on top of that monkey wrench in terms of <laughs> the things that we thought we're we on firm footing with in terms of of wendy's presence even i mean was wendy even there or what, what was going on um that it kind of makes brings into question even some of the things assumptions we did make even with the caveats
1: yeah it brings into question was there really a wendy in the first place or maybe there was just a chance right and obviously you can't trust that that second story from wendy but it You know, it it sounds more like he has imaginary friends in his head. And the whole reason he sees her is because the movie is playing up this whole uh, reliving things again. Everything happens a second time. This theme is beaten over a number of times. And, in fact, the theme of twos, duality, right? You have Wendy and Chance. You have two pairs of gloves, the kissing gloves and the undressing gloves. (laughs) Um, They always talk about, uh, even one of the themes, or one of the... Uh, the narrations, yeah. uh, everything happens, will happen again, which comma, twice. Which, yeah, is even
0: said more than twice, even. I mean, as soon as that kind of fades away from your memory, he definitely wants to reinforce that, hey, we're going to be seeing something again here, so keep that in mind, because uh, that is touched upon over and over again, both in the beginning and at the end.
1: Right, Yeah. right. And the idea of uh, the memories with this, too, right? Um, they say the first time... I'll just see it or smell it or taste it, but it won't stick, which kind of tells me that whatever those memories are that we're reliving are memories that he's sort of piecing together and adding information to. So we really can't trust it. Yeah. And then he says, I know there will be a second chance to really feel these things are real. And, um, to me, that means that when he goes back to the Island and repaints everything, he's got in his mind that there's going to be a second chance for everything. So, he's already built up in the construct of his mind that he's going to see wendy there so this vision appears and patches things up for him within this small world that he's created in his mind
0: but you're presupposing that wendy existed in the first place then if he's
1: presupposing that wendy exists in the first yeah. place but she at least existed within his mind for him to recreate her in the uh the secret bushes yeah, again later
0: in life and and to nuzzle her foot ever so gently
1: yeah, exactly. Those were some sexy kicks, by the way. I liked them. Oh, you did? Yeah,
0: I'm not even joking.
1: Okay. You know, <laughs> nice kicks. You know. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, twos, two coats of paint, Wendy and sis. Sis and mother having identical birthmarks. I, uh, and that goes back to how mother's mother and aunt didn't exactly get along. Yeah.
0: Well, ma- make sure to mention that it's the Romanian birthmark, Tom. Romanian
1: it's Romania. I put on I put on the subtitles. It was Romania. Uh, R U M. So I think they're even hinting at a fictional Eastern European country.
0: What is going on there? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's shaped like Romania. Uh, Romania. Oh, and they loved it too.
1: Romania. Romania. <laughs> they were
0: not shy about. It was like a Festivus uh, celebration on Seinfeld. It was... Everyone was... I mean, there's, like, sparklers going off and everything. Everybody's excited about Romania.
1: Yeah, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Romania. Yeah. Uh, Weird. And then, of course, Sis, going back to the two things, the only time that you ever see a character uh, lip something and then you actually hear actual voice come out is when she sings this Wither, Wander, Everything twice sounds like uh, this very soprano-y, operatic song that you would hear from the 20s and 30s. Uh, Another very dated thing that is uh, sentimental about this film.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I like this this character. I thought she was, I mean, young guy Madden kind of was pretty blah. He was just kind of along for the ride. What's your typical eight-year-old's going to be? I mean, it's tough for an eight-year-old to take control of a situation and really be a, sure. a main player in it. Really, Guy is having all these things affected upon him, and this is his memory of it. But the his, at least, memories of the Sis character were interesting. And um, in terms of the song, it was kind of out of the left field, but, but it was well done, and it obviously hit the theme of the duality and uh, her love of both Chance and Wendy in one body, or whatever that was, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. I mean, it was certainly a, lo- a song of love lost, and and yeah, I guess she would love either Chance or... She loved Chance and Wendy, as it turns out, I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I guess so, because it didn't seem to really bother her when she found out the Chance was Wendy. Really? It seemed like things were still progressing in that little relationship. <laughs> However
0: Wendy Chance was presenting themselves, it did not have an effect on on Siss's interpretation. And we are calling her Sis because that is all she has referred to, by the way. This isn't like a case where mm-hmm. Tom's had three beers and can't remember her name, and I'm just dumb. So,
1: But I did have three beers and forgot that that was her name. So <laughs> I was just covering for you, Tom. Way to blow it. Uh, oh, uh, The third beer, that really knocked me off. That will do it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to wrap up my feelings on this. Please, and mention something. Well, maybe not a complete wrap-up here because we've still got a little bit more. Oh, go we got here, the but...
0: questions, fan favorites.
1: Fan favorites, the questions, yes. But I I felt like this movie was in many ways, and I, I didn't really see this in uh, 97% or in any of the interviews, okay. um, yeah. which is the, the interview on the Criterion Collection disc. I felt like this was a very tight homage to Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Okay. Cabin of Doctor Kilgari obviously is a silent film. Um, very famous. Ger- yeah. very famous. German expressionism. It's it's known for not only its visual effects, but uh the storyline, essentially at the end of the film. I don't think I'm giving away too much. It's it was made in the twenties, so <laughs> you've, had, you've, had if you you've had plenty of chances too, so I I think I can spoil it. Uh but you essentially hear the story from a guy who's uh talking about uh, who he thinks is committing all these murders within the town and who's pulling the strings on this and it's this guy who came to town with the traveling circus and he has this somnambulist that's going around and kind of doing his killing biddings and eventually he finds out that this guy is a psychiatrist in the town everything sort of gets turned up on end as the audience you're thinking what in the world's going on is this some weird conspiracy and you find out that the guy who's telling you the story is actually a psychiatric patient, so you can't trust anything you really heard from him in the first place. Yeah. And I thought that that theme of finding out that there may be something twisted going on within the mind of Guy Madden—I yeah. uh, think that paralleled it. Yeah, I think you definitely bring him into the other- question
0: there at the end, just similar to—I mean, it's not as much of a of a. Uh, pulling back the curtain as we get in Caligari since that was a total twist oh, yeah. and at the end, and we're a little hesitant you know, the whole time, and we realize that it's being told in a fairy tale like manner, but yeah, the the curtain kind of getting released and all of a sudden Wendy's evaporating before his eyes during foot nuzzle. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there were some other things too, right, because uh, the somnambulist himself, the sleepwalker, whenever the foghorn blew, Sis ended up turning into a sleepwalker. Right. As soon as father was resurrected, Frankenstein style, he was walking around sort of like Caesar, the somnambulist was. Yeah. And when they even brought him back to the island, he was uh, sent off the island in a harp box, that sort of skewed shape wooden box, and he was brought back in that. And when they opened it, it was much like when they opened up the place that the Somnambulist was sleeping. It had this, you know, weird sort of edge to it. They opened it, and he sort of kind of struts out zombie-like.
0: Yeah, very famous scene, and yeah, very memorable.
1: Yeah, and then Mother is definitely the Calgary character. She's animated, passionate. She even has this long white hair that makes her look a little extra crazy at times, and, you know, she does fly off at the handle very often, so she's... She sort of uh, parallels that character a lot. She's the one that's causing a lot of the action that's going on. And obviously Guy, the narrator, is uh, the crazy narrator in the story, like I was mentioning before. <laughs>
0: well, it's a good good place to draw some inspiration, just because it's, I mean, an entertaining silent movie. And I imagine we're talking about similar budgets. I mean, part of the reason, from what I understand, that the Germans were using such crazy uh sets and and designs is due to the lack of funds so you've got to use what you've got and some paint and you know some dark drapery yeah. and, and go from there and i mean mr madden was well versed if he uh picked up a book on the production uh, of a uh, caligari or your german expression films in terms of what he was going to be able to do you know on his probably relatively small budget to tell his fairy tale story that you know reasonably if it was done in a hollywood style would be a you know, a hundred million dollar movie probably.
1: Yeah, definitely be millions and millions of dollars worth of budget yeah, for I mean, sure. Yeah,
0: there'd be CG in the first two scenes probably of him floating around in the water. Oh know, yeah, guys, yeah, you can imagine guys out in the Winnipeg pond or Seattle pond, you know, with somebody spinning the boat underneath, holding their breath yeah. and yeah.
1: Yeah, just all the editing that would go into that, and all the artistic direction, like we talked about last week with uh, Enter the Void. Oh. There were 40 plus artistic directors that went on yeah. with all the 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 mind tripping and whatnot. You could do a lot of the same of that here. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. But doing a lot so, with uh, what you got on hand, and I respect anyone that achieves, you know, something pretty interesting with what they have on hand.
1: Definitely, yeah. definitely. Good good okay. uh,
0: introspection there, Tom. Good good pickup there. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So Matt, let's move on to the fun questions, shall we? <sighs> I'm, I'm cracking my knuckles. I am ready. Are you ready for the first one, the softball toss, the one that we've done the last three episodes? Yeah. Matt, who would you party with?
0: That's a tough one. You know, I like to throw the curveballs in here at you. And, yeah.
1: uh sometimes a spitball, sometimes a breaker, yeah. a knuckler.
0: I mean, the, the easy answers are going to be, uh, you know, the sis, cute, cute young lady, doesn't seem to care uh, which side of the plate you're swinging from. So that's pretty nice. Uh, We got the Wendy I'm glad you like that (laughs) The Wendy who is also You know Obviously into some uh, Relatively unnatural stuff Believes in love at first sight But apparently I'm not I'm not her type uh, From what I could tell I don't look much like sis
1: Uh, Uh, Yeah you look a little bit More like Guy Which she apparently Had no interest in at all Yeah I mean
0: That's just a little Too close to home She's as cold as ice
1: (laughs) I'm gonna go with Savage
0: Tom That dude liked to party He wasn't very shy I think he brings it I think that guy gets off of, like, a beer bong, and he's, like, beating his chest and everything. And the Savage Tom character, I mean, you might not like him when he's on a bender, like he's get, maybe getting angry, but I think all the way up until angry Bender track. Point, uh, you're in pretty good shape with, with Savage Tom. And it reminds Matt. me of hanging out with Tom, so.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. You bring the point, um, Matt? Yes, Thomas? i got to speak to you. <laughs> Have you been reading my notes? Is anybody,
0: is anybody else listening? Right now? I I just a timeout right. Did I steal your Savage Tom?
1: You stole my Savage Tom. Oh no! I had written down that within the first scene of the movie, the way Savage Tom is spinning around that brew. Yeah. Savage Tom probably knows the ingredients that go into jungle juice. This is true. If he's coming to the party and you've got a theme and you forget how to make the special drinks, Sa- you just tap Savage Tom on the shoulder and he whips up something for you and you got yourself a drink theme. Party, he's
0: like a that friend that party. everybody knows. Like, oh man, I wish my friend Savage Tom was here. He knows how to make this.
1: The guy is whipping up smart cocktails left and right. Savage I Tom at a tailgate. Gin and tonic. Can you
0: imagine him uh, throwing the football around, getting ready for a game, tackling people, yelling their faces? Just kidding, bro. Oh.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and then he points at little Nettie and he's asking us to peel out his heart. As
0: as bad as we we feel for poor for Nettie. little Nettie in the beginning scene, and how yeah. much we dislike Savage Tom as he's kind of beating up a little, you know, measly kid. Then yes. we see Mom eating <laughs> little Nettie's uh, kidney apparently with her bare teeth. Yeah. So, you know, all chomping down Savage vampire Tom. style. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. All in all, Savage Tom not the worst of the group. <laughs> exactly.
0: You know? It just causes a little bit of havoc, and then, you know, just sets a small fire, not a big fire.
1: I feel bad for our audience that we actually agreed on that. It seems like too much of a cop-out. I know,
0: but, I mean, we want, yeah, yeah, it's too bad. Sorry, guys, gals. Oops, our bad.
1: Okay, Matt, Yes. if you owned the Creepy Lighthouse, what would you do with it? I know what I would do
0: with it, bed and breakfast. I mean, I've had, you know my lifelong dream is to own a bed and breakfast. Um, no, I didn't know that. Oh, really? Um, I didn't. You've tasted my pancakes. I mean, I make great pancakes in the morning.
1: I don't know if I've tasted your pancakes.
0: Well, trust me when I tell you, I make, come on, man. I make some good. Give me some pancakes. Blueberry pancakes. If I turn that thing into a bed and breakfast, we got tiny little doors. There's a seemingly unlimited amount of rooms. I think I could take out a little loan. I could repay that back in about a year. I mean, there's unlimited rooms. We got Dad downstairs doing crazy things. He's like the entertainment at night. Uh, yeah. You wouldn't even need a big screen TV. I mean, all the craziness is right there. Bed and breakfast. Come on, everybody! Pretty, lighthouse bread and breakfast.
1: I'm pretty sure you could pay little Nettie under minimum wage, and he would do something like you know, make the beds, do the laundry. You know, that that'd be pretty cheap. That would be pretty cheap, and none of them are lippy
0: because they can't talk because they're silent. So
1: yeah. that's the best labor force you could possibly have right there. The lighthouse bed and breakfast. I like that one. <laughs> Mine is uh, eerily similar. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Antique house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You sell some Aerophones. Yeah, Aerophones. You could sell um, antique statues of other lighthouses. And, oh, yeah, <laughs> the community would be all over Seashells.
0: That. I mean, there's a whole shoreline there.
1: Yeah, you could make, like, little creatures out of seashells and give them the wobbly eyes. Oh, yeah. Come on. Little
0: things out of seashells. Well, that stuff to say. That's right. Way. Man.
1: Yeah. Three beers. Don't try that seashells. at Seashells. Oof. All right. Like it. So father was yeah. Father was making a lot of devices downstairs. Yeah. What would you want the most? Well,
0: you know, you talked a little bit about how they're they're switching decades and and what decade do you think that this was supposed to be? And obviously it was in guy's mind, but I mean, if this is in the 20s or the 50s, I want I want father making me an Xbox 360 basically. I mean, that would be Pretty awesome. It would kind of break the doldrums of just walking around. What was entertainment? Savage Tom's going to cut your heart out if you go hang out with the guys. That's not good. If you go out on the beach, Uh you know, Sis is making out with a a man lady. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah. I'm saying an Xbox Uh from Pops.
1: Oh, okay. That's pretty fun.
0: I mean, compared to your other entertainment options, getting your heart cut out, man lady make out. I've good. got
1: one question that's going to blow a hole in your theory. Dang it. Yeah. Who's going to program the games for your Xbox in the 20s?
0: Well, this is Canada. I mean, it's the home of, you know, inventive people.
1: They'll, they'll figure it out.
0: Yeah, it's kind of falling apart.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of like that contraption that Mom had upstairs, Mother had upstairs, yeah. where she's, like, wheeling around and spying on things with her, her little light and... You know, hey, kids, come over here. The soul Go Searcher, whatever
0: the heck that thing was, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, I do like the way her voice was really creepy over that aerophone, too. That was cool, I don't yeah. think we mentioned yeah. that here. When she was up there wheeling that thing around, I thought, man, that looked like a pretty good time. I Especially back in the 20s. Do, if you're just sort do of... you think
0: Guy and his mother are talking on the phone, like, every week? Just like, hey, Ma, sorry I made you look completely crazy in a movie. <laughs> And everybody that sees it thinks you're completely nuts, you know. So how's Dad doing? Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, I'm sure this Mother's Day he's sending her a large bouquet of flowers as an apology. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Either that or he's just abandoned all hope And on both sides. It's probably the case. That's pretty t- it's one or the that's other. That's pretty tough to recover
0: back. from, I think, on Mother's Day. Yeah.
1: That's a big one. I mean, he's he's got more hang-ups than Norman Bates does <laughs> it's
0: it's Very good right.
1: call, exactly, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Okay, Matt, who would you like to see as another narrator for this film that we haven't mentioned already?
0: Yeah, I mean, the Bravo's to them for making all the options. And like you said, they're on the DVD, so there's like a ton of audio uh, tracks you can switch from, which is very cool. It's uh, very cool. I mean, uh, I was really into Fran Drescher last week, and that's kind of my voice inside. And Fran mm-hmm. was actually narrating occasionally when we had had girl kissing going on. Um, if anybody listened to podcast number two, they know Fran occasionally pops yes. in in my brain. So uh that, that was pretty cool. And then, you know, the uh nineties icon Terry Tate, the uh the reebok guy that would uh oh. deliver, you know, and pal drive people.
1: Wow, yeah. Early two thousands, yeah. Terry Early knots.
0: Uh yeah. okay. Terry Tate, uh, Terry nuts, Tate yeah. doing some of this, uh the narration, pretty awesome. That would be BA. Wow. I might I might do a think, Kickstarter project and try to get, like, a couple grand together to get Terry Tate yelling at people and talking about sis about to make out with some chance.
1: There you go. Yeah. That's a pretty solid one. All right. One. That's a pretty I, solid one. I expect one. you
0: to blow me out of the water. And if you say you were about to say Terry Tate, I'm going to call you a liar.
1: Yeah, I, I would be lying if that were the All case. Right. You, you caught me red-handed right there. <laughs> um, okay, so they brought Father back from the dead using some sort of Frankenstein machine that they hooked up to Mother with. Yeah. Um, car cables or something like that. We do that with Phil Hartman and he narrates. Nice. It, yeah. It's not too
0: soon for Phil Hartman, right? Because we're,
1: we're good. Yeah. We're, we're good. We got
0: props. We got love for Phil Hartman. That's a great idea, Thomas. Yeah. Phil Hartman has. It, it
1: shows you how much I miss Phil Hartman is what it does. Yeah. That is in no, no way a, a bad thing. I
0: will crack a beer later this evening for my boy, Mr. Hartman. Absolutely. Yeah, good call.
1: Okay, another question. Yeah. What the hell happened to Sis? Really? What did happen to Sis? Well, they said that she spun around the, the lighthouse like a firefly until she got too close to the flame and it burnt, burnt out or something. Out. Yeah. Obviously, that's probably not what really happened. Yeah. Where do you think Sis is now, Matt? I, I assume she went to Vegas and is
0: working the strip as an escort. That After being rejected by the man lady, it's kind of tough. I mean, it's a, kind of a fragile time in your life. I know some people, when they're rejected by their... Uh, love if you will the Wendy Chance character Uh, you know go off on murdering sprees some people start hooking some people do some blow I think uh, I imagine sis what the movies tell you at least I imagine sis is doing some hooking
1: I think she just got a really short haircut she dyed her hair red and she's working at Starbucks somewhere in Seattle there you go. You know, the. it's cut and dry.
0: During one of the, the title uh, cards uh, where it said, you know, can this love last? I was like, well, according to the Brandon Tina story, this love is not going to last. Someone's going to get beaten to death. So <laughs> <laughs> if movies are my guide, this is not going to be a well-ending uh, love affair here.
1: Yeah, you got that right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh any final comments you want to make on Brand of the Brain? It sounded like you appreciated what he did, but you definitely wouldn't see it again. Yeah, March, I mean I kinda all. sound
0: like a broken record in that, uh for Enter the Void, I was commenting how much I appreciated, you know, the craft of Mr. Noe. Uh and similarly I understand Guy Madden, you know, set out to achieve something with his budget, but I don't find it particularly entertaining. I, I do find some of the themes while interesting potentially uh i I think they're kind of haphazard and the visual look of it to be somewhat haphazard and kind of gimmicky to a bad effect so i I cannot strongly recommend it and i I don't think a lot of people would would love it you know and i don't know your impressions of you know your common moviegoer it's certainly not something that's going to be well loved and it probably wasn't intended to be
1: right after i found out that this was a silent movie it I don't want to say that that tainted me on what it was going to be, but it sort of it made it a little bit tougher to watch, originally, or at least a little bit tougher to put into my DVD player yeah. and, and start up. And I've seen plenty of silent films and appreciate watching them, but it takes a little extra effort. It does, right? yeah. But this I found to be completely entertaining. It does go off on a number of limbs, yep, and it does go into some pretty weird places but I think I would definitely watch it again. I, I mean, I watched it one and a half times, and I kind of enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed watching The Craft, and I enjoyed even the goofy storylines that went along with it. I enjoyed the fact that I could think about it afterwards and can draw some sort of parallels to great movies like Calgary, even if they're not, you know, some parallels in some yeah. movies are just yeah. completely in your face. You watch Brian De Palma's, um, <laughs> you know, uh, au revoir to, or his, his homage to uh battleship potemkin you know and it's just like so blatantly obvious but with this movie it felt like it was very genuine and worked into the film when he was blending in some of these uh shout outs if you will shout outs yeah
0: i give him credit for achieving something but uh i i love being called a moron so i hope that you know people come out in force and tell me i don't appreciate our little canadian friends vision master plan
1: well, you're a moron. and that was brand upon the brain. Exclamation point! Repetition's funny. That's correct. I did promise our listeners a little bit extra at the end. Oh, had. you
0: had a little tickler, a little tease there in the middle, Thomas. Oh, a little teaser. Yeah. And and fill me in because I'm I'm kind of uh, you're the MC yeah. of this gig, and uh, I I know there's been some rumblings, some internet rumors that you may want to put to bed or confirm.
1: Well, what you're really saying, Matt, is that you don't read my emails. And that's fine. I understand Those that.
0: Those emails are on the internet, and as far as I'm aware, they're rumors. So I don't think I yeah. need to right there.
1: Okay, okay. So, episode four, which is our next episode, we are breaking off of doing a in-depth movie discussion, and we are going to be doing the summer box office draft. Heck yeah. This is where Matt and I, <laughs> NFL-style, NBA-style, NHL-style, we go back and forth and we draft movies that are coming out between... I think we agreed upon either April or May, yeah. so we can maybe do some of the movies that have been released already. Fast
0: Five.
1: Fast Five is a contender. Then or, um, we we draft movies yeah. that are going to be released sometime within the summer, yep. and we at the end we'll add up how much money they make within the U.S. box office. Yeah, and whoever wins wins. So it's
0: all about the dollars, yo.
1: And whoever loses, well, we'll figure out next week what we're going to give up if we lose.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. That's going to be a debt. That's going to be a deficit right there.
1: Yeah, that's going to be really tough. It's going to be really tough to handle. So we're talking
0: about just the sheer quantity of dollars. We're not talking quality of film. We're just interested in who's making the bank
1: absolutely absolutely later on we may end up doing metacritic golf yes which is whoever gets the lowest score or we may do metacritic draft which is higher score these are some ideas that we have in the future but for right now summer box office draft because this is when the moolah's made yeah
0: yeah and i'm gonna be fighting tooth and nail for some fast five action because you got uh you got a plus talent like that in the movie it's it's gonna go big
1: I've already got my mock draft uh, spiffed up, Matt. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh man. Yeah, I've got orders, preferences. And you know what, Matt? Yeah. It's going to be the toughest thing. This is going to be are fun. How do we know who picks? How do we know who's going to pick first? Uh, oh. Coin toss. Oh. No, we can't do a coin toss. We'll get you know what You'll we're gonna think of a number and I'll try to guess it. No, we're not going to do that either cuz I can cheat. Oh. Oh, well, what are we going to do? We're going to do a, We're going to do a movie knowledge off. Oh no. Oh yes, we have categories of film. Yeah. And what's going to happen is you're going to come up with three trivia questions in one of the categories. Yeah. I'm going to come up with three questions in one of the categories. Oh man. Each one is going to be multiple choice with three choices. Okay,
0: it's a little bit easier for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. a little bit easier. I've already come up with eight categories. Yeah.
0: Can you give me a little sample of some of the categories? I got to start working on I'm my questions to... here.
1: I'm going to tell you every category, and we definitely encourage those of you who are connected to us on the internet, either through Twitter, Facebook, or if you want to email us, give us your thoughts on which ones that uh, either Matt or I should challenge the other one with.
0: Preferably me. I hope everyone can hear the hesitation in my voice and and the fear, basically, yeah.
1: Okay, so Mm -hmm. the categories are as follows. Category number one, the stranger on my... Uh, the stranger on the train entered my rear window and gave me Vertigo, oh. the American films of Alfred Hitchcock. Nice. Uh,
0: thank you for keeping it American, Elise. We're not going obscure early British ones.
1: Yeah. No lodger, no silence. All right. Yes, exactly. I appreciate that. Hitchcock, Hitchcock hack or slasher, the films of Brian De Palma. This <laughs> is the whole works of Brian De Palma.
0: Yes. We, we've watched a few uh, De Palmas together and a few Hitchcocks together, so it will be double public embarrassment if we get a movie wrong that we've watched together.
1: Yes, that's why you're always playing with the back
0: then. I know. I I understand. You know, uh, it's, it's being fruitful. It's paying dividends.
1: Ingmar Bergman, don't be suppressed. So depressed, buddy. You're surrounded by hot blondes. <laughs> the films of Ingmar Bergman. How bad
0: was his life. I mean, many Christmas. Yes, I know. Let's do some Bergman. Yeah,
1: yeah. There we go. Yeah. The films of 1999. Y2K. Why, why not?
0: <laughs> I like it. I remember that time fondly.
1: David Lynch. At first, I thought he was creepy. Then I realized he just likes boobies.
0: And then guys riding lawnmowers. But that'll, that's next week.
1: That's next week. Okay. Italian suspense films of the early 70s. You say Jello, I say Giallo. Oh, Tom. that's a, that's one, I put that one in just for you. That's one for me. That's one for Matt. All right. Nice. Walt Disney. I'm not a racist. Some of my best friends are mice. <laughs> Did you see the the blast
0: for Song of the South that we got on the website, by the way? Somebody was very that angry was pretty... about our Song of the South review.
1: No, I thought he was all right with it, actually.
0: Well, I mean, he looked. He wanted a whole historical re- perspective in a movie review. I mean, is every review you read of Song of the South supposed to re- recount the history of it? Anyways, I think
1: I think everyone you do in the modern era probably should have something to do with that, maybe. But whatever. <sighs> I, I love yeah. passionate
0: fans, though. So, you know, send more uh, some of our greatest memories of when people have <laughs> threatened Tom with death and, and oh, someone wished yeah. cancer on me. I mean, that's awesome. Thank you, people.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know? And our final, final group. Yes. As Saturday Night Live in film. If a MacGruber plays at a theater oh. and no one sees it, did it really happen? Nice so I will be posting these categories yeah uh, on Facebook or uh, yeah on Facebook, and feel free to uh, pick which one you think Matt and I should be using. Matt and I will go off in our selective corners and develop questions as hard as possible with multiple choice to challenge each other yeah. in the event of a tie in the event of a tie, we will each have some movies on hand that we will quiz each other on to guess the year the movie was released for nice. IMDB. So what we'll do is, if I'm off by five, you're off by four, you end up winning. Yeah. If it's a tie, we move on to the next movie. Uh, so we got tiebreakers dealt with. I love it, Tom.
0: My only disappointment is that I've ruined the question for what is the weapon of choice in Sister Ursula. Because that would be an oh, awesome one. But I'll have to come up with yeah. something equally as good.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of nuggets out there I'm sure you can find. Yeah. Something equally as good. Yes,
0: indeed. That's something to look <sighs> okay. forward to.
1: Something to look forward to and then podcast five we're already planning will be Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye.
0: Boy, that's that's uh pick your poison right there. A little bit of good and a little bit of bad. It's a very interesting sounding movie, but you know I'm not a huge Altman
1: fan, so This one may turn you around, Matt. Could we'll be.
0: see. It could flip me.
1: Okay. Yep. I wanna thank uh I wanna thank Matt for joining me on this lovely podcast. Thank you, Thomas. I appreciate his banter as always. Yep. And love to thank our lovely listeners out in the internet world for listening in for all your positive feedbacks, and even some of your negative constructive feedbacks. Absolutely. We don't call it negative. We call it opportunity.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we're not perfect yet. We're only worth $50 million so far, so.
1: Right, we're still working our way call up. Call me, Warner Brothers. Call me. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so if that's all from Matt, it's all from me. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>